0: Well, good evening, everyone. I think no choir meant everyone just came in nice and late this evening. I was like, here 10 minutes before the service, there's like three of us in here. I'm like, well, could be a fun service, but you guys started getting here, so that's good. Good to have you here. Hopefully, you had a good afternoon. Maybe got a nap in. Um, beautiful weather outside. Fall, I think, is upon us, um, I'm hoping. So, uh, starting to cool off a little bit, which is good. Uh, but good to have you here tonight. A couple announcements tonight before we get started. First of all, if it's your first time joining us here in person, please stop by our welcome desk on your way out. We have a gift we'd like to give to you if they didn't already get you on the way in. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time online, you can either scan the QR code there on your screen or you can go to sptindy.org contacts and just so we can get a record of a visit there. We're still looking for more ushers, so if you are interested in helping with ushering, please see Ken McKinney. He's in the back if you need to know where he is. I hope he's back there, but please see him if you are interested in helping with ushering. Rekindle's coming up two weeks from yesterday. Crazy how fast it's coming up, but it is a free day. Uh, for 7th through 12th graders, and uh, we look forward to hearing from Evangelist Brent Gellis. And uh, we'll basically be rekindling the fire that started at camp. So we do camp games, we hear messages, we have free food, and so always a really awesome day. Uh, we've got a couple churches in the area that are already planning on coming, and uh, a couple more that are still considering it. So looking forward to that, so teenagers, come on out and invite your friends for that. Our missionaries of the week are Josh and Annie Moore to Ireland. Uh, as Pastor said this morning, they are expecting their fourth child in, in March, and so they're excited about that. Uh, He also mentioned this morning they had a, what they call, late-night outreach, and so they went out, and they started just kind of canvassing and set up a booth in their town, and um, a couple of men were kind of uh, being a little bit aggressive and kind of accosting them a little bit, and so, um, but while they were being patient and sharing the gospel and just trying to be wise in the way that they responded, another man came up at the end and said, hey, I've been watching you for about 90 minutes here, and I've been seeing the way that you've been responding, and I want to know what you have. And so they really give them a, a pamphlet, and uh, so hopefully that bears some fruit as well. So again, just getting out in the community. They're doing a great job in their, um, in their city and their town, and so just be praying for the Moors as they're in Ireland. One more announcement. Um, if you are interested or if you play an instrument, um, we are always having our orchestra on Sunday mornings. We also do it on Sunday nights as well. Um, but in a couple weeks, uh, we're going to be doing what? We're going to do an orchestra special. Um, and so we're just going to have all the people that are in the orchestra Come up and we'll, we'll play a special for the special music on a Sunday night. And so, if you are interested, please see myself and uh, we would uh, be, I would love to have you come up here and play. It's a great opportunity if you're like a teenager or maybe just starting on, with an instrument to get up here and, and learn. When I was in high school, I played in an orchestra and it made me a lot more comfortable playing um, in other things. And so, if you are interested in that, please see me and uh, we would love to have you, but we'll get that out kind of when it is. But it's usually, I think it's in the middle of November, I think. And uh, it'll be an orchestra special. So all we'll do is we'll just play a song out of the hymnal, and uh, that will be our special for that night. So if you are interested or you play an instrument and you're not using the gift that God has given to you, now is the time. So I will right, we'll have the ushers come forward at this time to receive this evening's offering. And I'm going to ask Matt Groca if he would pray for the offering and for the Moore family as well.
1: Turn your Bibles to the first Corinthians chapter. I'm just kidding. Just whenever I get behind a pulpit, it's just, hold up. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to song lead tonight. Okay. So as I uh, chose out the theme for our series of hymns tonight, it was the theme of praise because every true and proper doctrine and in theology inevitably must lead to doxology, to praise of God. And if you read Paul's writings specifically, he just, you can see it in his writings. He just can't help himself. He has to praise God. In Romans chapter 1, he's talking about the depravity of man and talks about he, they worship the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. It's, just, it's spontaneous. He has to praise God because that's who he is and that's who God is. God is on the move. God is at work and he must be praised. Stand with me as we sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
2: Praise to the Lord, the Almighty,
3: the King of creation.
4: assuming we did. Good. So, just this last weekend, by I have a birthday or anniversary? Nobody no. Was born. Say what?
5: Nobody was born.
4: Nobody was born, I know. No. So, no birthdays, no anniversaries? Married. Yes? My dad's birthday was yesterday. Your dad's birthday was yesterday. Oh. So, let's see. It's what? About uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning there? So, is he watching us? Who knows? Bruce, if you're watching, happy birthday. If you're not, shame on you. No, I'm just (laughs) praise the Lord. Somebody else? Birthday or anniversary this last week? All right. Well then my job is done here. What's next? Come on up, Mr. Matthew.
6: To those of the congregation which are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. As we are in the book of Joshua, chapter 8, verses 18 through 29. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. And the ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand. And they entered into the city, and took it, and hasted, and set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended up to, the, up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that way, and the people that fled to the wilderness turned back upon the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, and that the smoke of the city ascended, then they turned again and slew the men of Ai. And the other issued out of the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they smote them so that they let none of them remain or escape. And the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness wherein they chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword, until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all that fell that day, both the men and women, were twelve thousand, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves, according unto the word of the Lord which he commanded Joshua. And Joshua burnt Ai, and made it an heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until eventide. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise thereon a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. May the Lord prosper his word whereto he sent it. And may the Lord bless you as you go about your week. You may be seated.
1: next hymn we'll be singing is All Creatures of Our God and King.
3: All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and let us sing. Alleluia, alleluia, thou burning sun with golden
1: It's a truly a wonderful uh, song that I love, and it's just something about it. It's old, which means it's gold, uh, usually. And uh, it's, just, it's just wonderful, the way the music goes together, and it fits with our thing of singing praise to God. So let's stand as we sing this one, sing praise to God.
3: Sing praise to God, who reigns above the
2: i took his so
5: Office just uh, plucking a few notes and tuning up a little bit ago, and uh, on his track rack, I saw this, and uh, um, about are you depressed? Do you worry? Is there fear? And uh, I thought, what a coincidence! Tonight I'm going to sing about uh, about tomorrow, and uh, um, I know who holds tomorrow. I have uh, uh, four kids, and, and uh, they're all listening to the streaming right now. One of them is uh, in Ireland tonight, one's in Florida, one's in Colorado, and one's in Charlotte, and she's sort of a, they're, they're all listening, but the one in Charlotte, Wendy, she's sort of spacey. <laughs> so uh, um, if the phone lines light up, I, you'll, you'll know it's her. But, uh, uh, but, but uh, about, a, about a month ago, I got a text from her, and it said this, it said, Worry about what you can do today. But uh, if, if you have faith, let God take care of tomorrow. And, uh, and, and that, 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 I needed that. And uh, so thank you, Wendy. And uh, so you're not really spacey. So uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Jesus, even Jesus said, talks about tomorrow, the hand of Jesus, and, uh, and talks about if the sparrow falls to the ground, um, he, he cares. Tonight I'm going to. I I, I dedicate this to Jeanette and her cancer uh, ministry. Uh, I think that's incredible. And uh, um, I was talking to her about it this morning. so, So I know who holds tomorrow. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day i don't borrow from its sunshine for its skies may turn to gray i don't worry or the future for i know what jesus said and today i'll walk beside him for he knows what is ahead many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand but I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand I don't know about tomorrow it may bring me poverty, but the one who feeds a sparrow is the one who walks with me, and the path that is my portion may lead through the flame or flood, but his presence goes before me, and I'm covered with the blood. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Doc. I
4: love that song, Many Things About Tomorrow I Don't Understand. The Bible says... Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof, and the concept of that verse means that there's enough bad things in this day without us adding to by worrying about tomorrow, right? Sufficient to this day is the evil thereof. There's enough things to, on our plate. Don't be borrowing from tomorrow. All right, so we're going to be primarily, uh, let's see, what passage should have have? John chapter 8, maybe, as we jump into this, uh, so... Uh, Last week, we had a sweet, sweet, uh, no, two weeks ago, because I wasn't here last week, a sweet, sweet uh, testimony time. We're not going to do that tonight, but uh, I have had more people comment about that, and just, I don't know, I feel like that we do testimony time fairly regularly, just whenever I feel like it, I guess. But um, anyway, uh, people just kept coming up and just saying, wow, Pastor, that was such a sweet testimony time, and it was. There were a lot of sweet testimonies. We're looking at uh, the gospel for the last this month and next month, and uh, presenting the gospel on Sunday morning. This morning we had visitors, and uh, so it was wonderful to have, there was, I, I'm not going to point out things since I, you know, it's going to be on here, I don't know who's watching, but we had one uh, lady who was visiting first time, at least my first time to see her, uh, was here with her husband, and she looked up at me about. I'm making a profession of faith. I did not catch her beforehand. We had a teenager that looked up at me. So God's working in hearts. It was exciting. Appreciate uh, your prayers for that. On Sunday nights, we're looking at the gospel and how we can um, add power to an already powerful gospel. And this is a, it's a challenge. When I say that, I'm, I almost feel awkward in saying it because the gospel isn't dependent upon us, right? We know that. Uh, The Bible literally says that if we didn't speak, the rocks themselves would cry out. Uh, The Bible gives us an example how that God used a donkey to speak. So he really doesn't, you know, it's not about us, it's just not. Having said that, God again and again and again, you know, puts the impact of our lives, of our testimony, etc., as having you know as having some impact on the way people respond to Christ and it's hard to put all of that together it it just is i'm just theologically i'm saying it's hard to say that in a way that you could say okay uh, but as we look at this we see that our lives have have an impact on what god's word says and i can prove that to you in in snippets it's just really hard to say that you know, we're adding power to the gospel because the gospel is the power of God, right? So how do we add to the power of God? It's, it's already powerful. So it's, it becomes a real challenge to, to put those things in those terms. Um, but we're going to look at how we can, we can actually understand it. So last week or two weeks ago, I'm sorry, we looked at how our re- response, our reaction to difficulties in life change, perhaps, or impact anyway, the way that people respond to the things of Christ. So, uh, Doc was just singing about uh, that song said, sometimes it leads you through the fire and through the flood. And uh, it is an amazing statement. Now, that's an Old Testament statement, but it's amazing uh, that that verse does not say, if you pass through the fire, it says when you pass through the fire, God's going to get you through. And God, when you pass through the flood, God's going to get you through. And because this life is cursed, and we, we, we know that we're going to have that. And so we saw in Acts chapter 16, last time I spoke to you, that, uh, you know, uh, how Paul and Silas and those folks that were with them, their response to being beaten and imprisoned, uh, how they reacted, caused that Philippian jailer to, you know, to come to them and say, Sirs, what must I be, do to be saved? And then, if you follow on up in that verse, uh, they went to his house, and his whole family comes to Christ, and it was a it was a powerful moving of the Spirit of God and the things of God, and uh, I believe that we can find that our, our responses to God make a difference to those around us. That's what we're going to look at today, another one of those uh, concepts and how it can happen. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this study. Father, we ask that you would just help us, God, to understand how you want to use us, how that for whatever reason, you allow our lives to impact those around us. And we pray that you would um, just help us to be faithful. And we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Ezekiel chapter 3, now we're not going to turn there, but in Ezekiel chapter 3, there's that watchman um, uh, passage, you know, and, and it says something like this. I may be paraphrasing it here, but it says something like this. I think it's along about verse 18. It says, if you see a wicked person in their wickedness, and fail to warn that wicked man of his wicked way. That wicked man will die in his sin, but his blood will I require at thine hand. I mean, the, the idea is that we have responsibility to the gospel. And and the implication is that, you know, wow, we need to be saying something to this guy, or he's not, how can he respond? Then we get over to Romans chapter 4. Ten, Where it says uh, How can they believe Unless they hear And how can they hear Unless one tells them And so we've got a responsibility To the gospel And so it's not just the responsibility To share the gospel Although that's important It's a responsibility to share the gospel well When we get to 2 Corinthians I hate when I'm doing this Because just verses are popping into my head Second Corinthians chapter 8 I believe it is when it's talking about the trumpeter, and it's referring back to Old Testament times, and it says, if the trumpet give an unclear sound, then people don't know how to respond to it, right? Because the trumpet, uh, in, in Bible times, the trumpet was the, the, way that they would, the way that they would communicate across a distance uh, to the city or to uh, the army. So you want the army to charge, and you have a certain trumpet sound. In fact, we even all, all know what it is in our modern day. And there's a, there's a charge on the trumpet, right? And you hear it, and everybody says, charge! Uh, we don't charge anymore, we just say it. Uh, but we know what it means, right? There's a, c- a certain sound that would say, turn to your left and turn to your right. <clears throat> but if the trumpet give an unclear sound, then how can people know how to respond? So our responsibility to not only share the gospel, but share the gospel in a way that it's understood and in a way that it's, it's acceptable, uh, is important. So we're going to look at some passages. I promise you we'll get to John chapter 8. But one of the things that we must watch in the way that we share the gospel is found in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. And some might argue that this is in dealing with Christian people, but I'm going to tell you that if you read the book of Proverbs, what you're finding here is a principle, a principle that carries weight Throughout various uh, applications, it says this: Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. We have an obligation when we are speaking to season our, you know, our uh, speech to make it gracious and, and to make it acceptable when when we put salt on something we add flavor to it when we put salt on something we make it palatable we make it something that someone would desire and our approach in sharing the gospel in speech is important would you agree I I mean we we ought to be seasoning our speech with salt and with grace um over the years, I got, I got saved in, in the late 70s, and uh, the church was booming. I mean, churches were growing like crazy, and, and bus ministries were really happening, and p- Christian schools were starting all over the country, and that's, that's the era in which I trusted Christ. And, um, but I'm, I'm going to tell you that the approach that they gave with the gospel was all over the place. Uh, you might go, you know, we, we, uh, we did soul winning. Remember when soul winning was really a good thing that we did? And by the way, we should all be doing this, right? Do you understand this? Sharing the gospel, that's something we're called to do. It's not something your pastor expects. Your pastor is not a part of this equation. It's something your Savior expects. Remember the guy we were talking about today who proved his love for us? And his expectation is that we share the gospel. But it is also that we share the gospel in a way that is seasoned with grace. Think about this for a moment. Isn't the whole of the gospel grace? And sometimes, in the especially in the seventies, you'd go with that. Go to, with someone's soul winning. They'd knock on a door, and they would be so rude and obnoxious. They, the The implication by some people was that God called me to do this, and so you just sit down and shut up and listen. I don't don't think that's necessarily seasoning our speech with grace and so i watched as many people turned what i suspect was turned people away from the gospel because of the approach that they were taking with sharing the gospel oh it is a gospel of grace right it is it is just that it's a gospel of grace and so let's season our speech with grace and ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says let no Corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth But that which is good To the use of edifying That it may minister grace unto the hearers We have the responsibility for the speech That is coming out of our mouth It is an amazing thing If you look at Christ I'm going to challenge you with this you look at the example that Christ gave to us um, Christ was seldom ever harsh With the sinner, in fact, I can't think of a single time he was ever harsh with the sinner. Now he was harsh with the religious crowd. He was harsh with those who should know better, but weren't doing weren't doing right. I mean, he looked at them and said, "You're whited sepulchers. You're vipers. You're full of dead men's bones. You're poison." I mean, he he cut no slack when it came to dealing with people who should know better, spiritually speaking, and were spitting in the face of God, so to speak. But when it came to the sinner, he was gracious in his approach. And you and I need to learn some lessons from the great one, uh, the great healer, right? The great physician. And understand, uh, you know, that uh, as we're sharing the gospel, think about this for a moment. Tell me, what is true of someone who is unsaved? We, we describe them as blank in their sin. What? Dead. Dead. In their sin, well, when you when you approach death, how do you you know somebody's died, you know how do you respond to that? I mean, you you respond graciously, right? I mean, you don't you don't come up to someone at the casket and say, I can't believe you're an awful son to that guy. You know, you you you, know, you, you, re, you approach this with great grace and season your speech with salt because, you know, there's that that compassion. What else is someone in their sin? Lost in their sin. They, they don't know. They, they're, they're, they're without, lost meaning without hope and without help. There they are. They're lost. Um, have, you ever, have you ever seen a lost little kid in the store? Now, their mom may be literally just like right around the corner, but for the, for the split second, that little kid can't see mom. And you can see the terror on that kid's face. And they, uh, and, you know, wh- what do you do? You say, well, you shouldn't have walked away from your mother, you dirty rat. You know, no, we don't. No, we, we respond with compassion. There's this, we, we're moved toward that kid because all of a sudden we, this is, this is the world that's out there. And so they're lost. What, what's another word we use? They're what in their sin? They're a slave to their sin. They're bound. They're a you know, we, we are a, we're a nation that understands slavery, right? We, we have a, a uh, what's the word, an institute right over here, you know, off of Brookville Road that helps people who have been enslaved by, you know, traffickers, all right? I'm trying to be gracious because we have little ones in here, but, you know, the, we don't look at those people and say, you got yourself into this mess, shame on you. We don't do that. We're, we're broken hearted when we see them. And so as we're approaching the sinner, sometimes I have seen people get so caught up in the sin that they mock, ridicule, berate. But what Jesus sees is lost enslaved, hurting, broken, all of these things dead, and Christ is moved toward them. And sometimes I think we're just looking too much at the sin, uh, and, and we're missing the whole point. And So this is, this is to help us to, to gather in our approach, to make sure that our speech is seasoned, to make sure that our speech edifies and ministers grace to those who are hearing it. Hear me out for a moment. Are we trying to get people to stop drinking? Is that what our church is setting out to do? I'm seeing yeses and I'm seeing noes. Let me ask another thing. Are we trying to get people to stop smoking? Is that our goal? We meet on Sundays to get people to stop smoking. Are we trying to get people to figure out their gender once and for all? Is that... Are we trying to get? No. Hear me out. We focus on the sin that gets us in trouble. Because if I get someone to stop drinking, but they never accept Christ as their Savior, they still go to hell for all eternity. What did I do for them? So when we're approaching the sinner, we can't get focused on the sin because our goal is not to stop them from doing that sin, our goal is to introduce them to Christ. Then, as children of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, they begin to transform from the inside out, and we watch as God makes something out of that life. But I think all too often, and listen, moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, listen, this is what we do to our kids if we're not careful. We don't like the behavior that we're seeing in our kids. And we get so caught up in changing the behavior of our kids or our grandkids That we forget that the gospel is the goal. And, you know, we just, we don't want to be embarrassed by our kids being in jail. We don't want to be embarrassed by our kids, you know, acting like that in public. We don't want to be embarrassed by it. And so we get caught up in what they're doing, and and we miss what we're here for, which is the gospel. Because, listen... When it says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, it's talking about what the gospel does for them. Do you understand? The gospel is the changing agent. So the gospel will change them. My job is not to change them. My job is to introduce them to Christ. Now, we can then help in the process of changing. I'm aware of that. We've been talking about that on Wednesdays. I'm not suggesting that we you know, shouldn't involve ourselves in it's called discipleship. But what I'm saying is, that if we're not careful, we just get so caught up in trying to stop certain behaviors that we don't like, that we're missing the whole point of the gospel. And uh, what you don't see Jesus doing is that. You do see the disciples doing that, right? Remember when the disciples said, Jesus, I can't believe they acted like that. Should we call down fire from heaven? (laughs) Uh, Jesus like, no, no, let's... Let's not do that. Let's love these people, right? I mean, it's totally different. Jesus' concept is totally different. So uh, let's take a look at some, if you wanted to put this into some easy things to remember, I would say we should have compassion, not contempt. We should have love and not loathing. We should try to win them, not have war with them. Things like that. You get the idea. Um, So here we are in John chapter 8. I want to look at how Jesus confronted sinners. Let's just use Jesus as our example. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came into him and sat down and taught and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought into him a woman taken in adultery, when they set her, set her in the midst. And they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, but in the very act. Now, by the way, do we want people to be living in adultery? No. Is it our goal to stop people from living in adultery? No. It is our goal to win people to Christ. Because once someone is saved, God can do in them what I can never do. I can't change a heart. I can't change, I don't even know what's in their heart. Right? They don't even know what's in their heart half the time. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God and God steps in and does a work that we can't do. And so the Pharisees are there. They, in the very act, verse 5. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that, we should, that they such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This, they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus, and I have no idea. People have been going on and on for years and years about this verse right here. Jesus stoops down and writes something in the dirt. Right? That's what it says with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he didn't even hear them. Um, what did he write? The Bible doesn't, does that bug you to death that the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote? And I have heard pr- sermons preached on it. I probably preached one myself or so. You know, I'm going to give you some ideas, but I, we have no idea. You know, it could be that Jesus knows what, you know, Rabbi so-and-so was doing last night, and so he wrote gambling. Or he wrote, lying, or he, you know, I have no idea, that's what people suggested, that maybe he wrote, all we know is whatever he wrote has an impact on this audience that has come uh, to confront Jesus with this this woman, so he writes it, and when they, and, and so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her, let him first cast a stone at her He stooped down again, wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, now it's amazing, heard it, what they heard, the only thing that they heard was, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. That's what they heard. The rest of it is whatever else is happening on the ground. Being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her. Now this is important. Look at this. Neither do I condemn thee. It is not my job to condemn the sinner. Now, I'm aware that sometimes we do need to help them understand that what they're doing is sin. But even that, listen to me carefully, when I say convince of sin, whose job is that? That's the Holy Spirit, right? He convinces men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's his job. It, it, our job is to, is to graciously and lovingly present God's truth. This is our job. And if we will follow after Jesus' example here in John chapter 8, we will see how someone caught in the very act, no one has any question, Jesus could have, and some might even secretly be thinking maybe he should have spoken up and made condemnation of that sin. But that's not what you see Christ doing. Now, listen, again... Jesus is totally different once we're on the other side of salvation. Then he looks at the disciples and says, oh, ye of little faith. He looks at the disciples and says, you don't understand what we're here for. We're not here to call down. Christ. I mean, he, once, we're, once we're saved, the expectation changes. But those who are on the outside, consistently what you see from our Savior is he is moved with compassion. Drawn to them. And his conversation with them is, we might even say it's sweet. It's very, very gracious. Luke chapter 7 says this. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. You can turn there if you want or just listen to it. And the Pharisees desired him that he would eat, that, uh, he would eat with them. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, and spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said, answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain man, Jesus speaking, a certain creditor, which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. She hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, doth not cease to kiss my feet. My head with oil, thou dost not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she has loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little." And then he says to the woman, thy sins are forgiven. It's an amazing story. Thy sins are forgiven. There's no question this is a salvation story. And some might even say, well, where's the faith, right? You know, where's that step of faith? She doesn't, she doesn't cry out and ask for forgiveness. And the, but, you know, the God who sees the heart of this woman knows why she's there. She's there repentant, crawling on her hands and knees, coming and kissing the feet of Jesus, and Jesus says, thy sins are forgiven. But note what he does not say. Get away from me, you sinful woman. That's what he does. You know, what does this make Jesus in Jewish law? Unclean. Right? In Jewish law, to be touched by this woman. This is why Simon is responding so If he knew who she was, he would never let this happen. If he was truly a man of God, he would never let this happen. And, you know, I want to say this carefully, but are we waiting for the sinners just to come to us? I mean, are we so afraid of being tainted by sin, by their sin, that we're unwilling to rub elbows with them, so to speak. Jesus has this reputation in the New Testament, and it is that he is the friend of sinners. That's his reputation. He's the friend of sinners. And I tell you, what I've found in the church since I trusted Christ back in the late 70s is that the church is really good about separation, so much so that if we're not careful, we've separated ourselves from the world not the world's influence on us, but from the world in that we don't want touch not the unclean thing, you know? And, and we're afraid of actually having interaction with certain people in our society. Back in the, also in the 1970s, I got saved when I was 16 that same year I was in a car accident. So I got saved in June, I was in a car accident when I was in December Broke my jaw in three places, my nose, my cheekbone. They did surgery. And about three years later, two and a half years later, something like that, maybe three years later, I don't know, there was a discovery in the scientific world, in the medical arena. And it was a disease that was passed on through blood and through, through contact of fluids, bodily fluids, called AIDS. And so I get this phone call. I mean, I'm, imagine this, okay, I'm like a 20-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid, and they say, we need you to come in and be tested, because they did not know about the quality of the blood that had been transfused into me during this, this uh, surgery, It's like, whoo, I mean, you know, and if you remember that time when all of that was coming out, it was... If we'd have had masks and gloves back then, you know, we'd have been. We, that was that was everybody's reaction. Like, I don't want to. Uh. And all of a sudden, we started showing how little compassion we might have on someone who is horribly lost and in bondage of sin. Because it was like, I'm not. They don't. Do, it, we would never say it out loud. It would sound awful. We would just simply say, They don't deserve. In our minds, they don't deserve the gospel. I'm not giving it to them. Well, folks, there are a lot of people who don't deserve the gospel, and I'm going to tell you something. They're all sitting right here in this church tonight. You understand? None of us deserve the gospel. It wasn't like God looked at us and said, oh, look how wonderful they are. I want them to be a part of my family. Every single one of us was the enemy of God, the Bible says. Every one of us. And so, it, you know, it, it, it shows sometimes how that there's certain things that we say, you know what, I'll witness to this one, I'll witness to this one, but I'm not going to get near that. And what you don't see in Christ is that. What you see in Christ is, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not for our sins only, but for the sins also of the whole world. That's what you see in Christ. You see Christ looking out at a a field of 5,000 people, and the Bible literally declares he had compassion on them. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did all 5,000 of those people become followers of Jesus? Probably not. The Bible doesn't tell us, right? We don't know. Probably not. Here's what we know the Bible does say happens most of the time with the gospel. Some believe, some reject, and some say, I'll come back and hear it again. Right? Remember that passage and Where's it at? Somebody? You can go home and find it. But that passage describes those three reactions to the gospel. So chances are in this group of 5,000 people that Christ had compassion on and that Christ's compassion treated everyone the same at that moment, let's feed them all. Right? Let's feed them all. Let's give the gospel to every one of them. They all are in need. I move with compassion, knowing that some will not accept it. I'm still moved with compassion. This is our approach to the gospel. We must be careful to season our speech, to have the right attitude toward <clears throat> the sinner. Now listen, I've got to say this carefully. So, you know, ladies, if you're out there by, you know, by yourselves and, and uh, that guy comes, uh, he's walking down the same side of the street as you and it makes you feel uncomfortable, you probably ought to move to the other side of the side. Alright, I'm not suggesting that we need to that you need to endanger yourself. But guys, I'm not cutting us the slack. When we're that way, when we're that way, what we're missing is the compassion of Christ. There is one who is clearly bound. There is one who is clearly hurting and in need. And you know, again, we don't endanger our families, et cetera, but at what point do we cross that line and speak to those who make us feel uncomfortable? And when we do, we speak to them the same way that Christ spoke, not just the ones that made him comfortable, by the way, right? But with compassion and his great his speech seasoned with salt to every single one, whether it's the adulterer, whether it's the the lady who... You understand her sinful condition here. Whether it's the woman at the well. Whether it's Zacchaeus, the liar and the thief up in the tree. Or whether it's the thief on the cross hanging beside Jesus. Amazingly enough, Christ's response is the same to both thieves. The thieves' response are not the same to Jesus. You the, they had the different response. but Christ's response is the same to all of them. You know, here, you know what, you know what, can I tell you what Christ's response was? Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's the same. So we've got to come to this one. I'm just telling you, put yourself for a moment. There you are. You're the sinner. And the Christian backs away from your sin, failing to have compassion. How does that impact you with the gospel? Our response to the sinner carries weight of the god, with the gospel response. How, how God puts all this together I, I know god 's gracious and he 's gracious enough to get around my stupidity so that I can go so that the gospel can still be clear to these people. I know that 's just the grace of God that is the grace of God, but the expectation of Christ on us in our Sunday school class we 're going through um, the the Peacemaker book, and we're to this section on forgiveness, and you know it is an interesting thing. There's that, that, that this verse we just read it, uh, that verse in Mark where it says to whom much is forgiven, you know, there's greater love. And so, th- the idea is that you know, um, when when I see myself as God sees me, I realize that I literally am no different than the guy who I'm afraid to talk to about the gospel because of his sin. You know, there was the, the, my, God, my sin separated me from God for all eternity, apart from Christ doing something. And that's exactly where they are. And it takes the exact same blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me from my sin as it does them from their sin. Even if their sin seems more egregious to me. Even if their sin scares me. It still takes the same blood of Jesus to make me right with God as it does to make them right with God. Same blood of Jesus. So I need to be moved with compassion. So let's, as we're sharing the gospel, let's remember. Here's what Jesus says about them. Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed them. You know what Jesus says? I came to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek it out. And Jesus says, you know, he, he loves the world. He loves the sinner. Jesus says, I'm standing at the door, and I'm waiting, and I'm patient. This is Jesus' reaction to the sinner. Are we reacting in a godly way so that our reaction to the sinner adds power to an already powerful gospel? Heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Nobody said, by the way, Witnessing was easy. Do you ever notice that? (laughs) Nobody said this was an easy job to do. It's not. It's not easy. And it is somewhat scary. And sometimes it's scarier than at other times. But I'm just wondering, what group of people would Jesus wander into and not be moved with compassion? I wonder, what segment of our society would Jesus have difficulty having compassion upon? And let's not let's not put our biases between the gospel and the sinner. Father, burden us for the lost. Help us to see them as broken, to see them as enslaved, as dead, as lost. Help us to see them as you see them. And then as we approach them, help us to approach them with our speech seasoned, ministering grace, moved with compassion, willing to love them, that our our response to them might add power to the gospel. And Father, we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Look this way just a moment. I want to, something just popped in my head, so I'm thinking through this. Here's the Apostle Paul standing and giving testimony, witnessing to someone. And I know it's not my job, it's not my job to woo people, right? It's my job to give the truth. But it is interesting that Agrippa looked at Paul and said, Paul, almost, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And I'm asking you to think that through. What what was Paul doing that was persuading, that was lending itself to the work of the Holy Spirit in Agrippa? I have no idea if Agrippa ever came to Christ. But at that moment, it was an almost. And Agrippa put it onto Paul. Almost Paul, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Let's stand. We're going to sing together.
0: 470, living for Jesus.
4: Living for Jesus. The altar is open to you. If you need to bring someone before the Lord, now's a good time. Ask the Lord for courage to speak up in a godly fashion. Whatever it might be, the altar is open to you. You step out, let the Lord have his way. Living for
7: Jesus, a life that. Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee, for Thou in Thy atonement didst give Thyself for me. I own no other Master, my heart shall be Thy throne.
4: three things. One, just to give you an update on Andrew and Jessica, they're still looking for a house, so they'd appreciate your prayers. They found one, put in a, a bid or whatever it's called, and, and it's an offer. It's been accepted, but the inspector says there's some things need to be done, so they're just waiting to see if they'll do those things, all right? So that's a prayer request. Uh, two, went down there, stood up in front of 4,000 students and said, we're looking for a youth pastor. You've got to be married. You've got to be finished up school." Or at least, you know, you got to be married by next summer, or I said, or well on your way to getting there. And uh, so anyway, I I'm, I'm met with several people down there. I've got a, a couple of phone calls this week to people from uh, other colleges. But uh, God's beginning to work, so just pray for that process as we, uh, as we look for that. And then thirdly, we need to get the playground units out there painted. Now here's the good news. You can't mess them up, you know. I mean, it's you know, it's grass or whatever all around them, and you can't make a mess, right? It's just whatever. But uh, if anybody is willing to to uh, do that, they're starting to. They're going to. It's they're going to start falling apart on us if we're not going to take care of them. You understand? So I called into one of those companies that does those 25-year you know warranty things. Anybody want to know how much they want to do our playground? sixteen thousand dollars i'm like well you know we can almost but we can't quite buy a new playground unit for that but it's getting close so uh you know so anyway um i think we'd rather just paint them right so uh but if anybody's willing to do that we're willing to let you i don't care if you get your five-year-old out there with a paintbrush you understand you can't mess these up you can't they're out there in the weather and they're just ground around them so We'll take off, like, the slides for you if you tell us when you're going to do that. We'll take off the slides so you don't have to worry about the plastic stuff and just have at it, right? If it's wood, throw paint on it, and uh, we'll buy the paint. But if anybody's willing to do that, just let me know. That'd be great. Anything else I'm supposed to be Pastor Brett? All right, been a great day. I appreciate all of your kind attention. The Lord bless you. Keep you. Make his face shine. Up. I'm going to give you peace. Love you all. God bless you. You are dismissed.